Now, Afghanistan is just a complete disaster. Um, I think people have recognized that on the news, or really, if it's not really on the news as much, it's, mu it's really on social media. Um, social media has been driving uh, the narrative because we have a president that's in office, uh, but more importantly, we have a media covering for the president that's in office, and there's no information really coming out as to what we're really doing. Um, I will give credit to some parts of the media, CBS, uh, CNN, Fox, and ABC, uh, and somewhat MSNBC. Uh, they are trying to ask good questions because I believe that this catastrophe is unfolding in such a way that is actually shocking most people, even uh, regardless of political affiliation, because um, it it's such a disaster that, you know, I think that um, people are starting to question the legitimacy of not just the president, but American hegemony, as I mentioned in the title here. And, you know, we have this American empire and the concept is kind of coming to an end and it's dying. And it's not a disaster as many might think it is. It is not. Um, what you're seeing is happening by design. Now, was it all agreed to uh, by all the parties involved? Absolutely not. But I will say that many, in many ways, our government uh, it's decompartmentalized. So there's, you know, people who work in our government, they only work in specific sectors and they just worry about their job and that's it. They don't know what's really happening above them and then those people don't know what's happening above them. And from what I can see, this is what I would be what I would call a perfect catastrophe. It's too perfect, okay? Uh, and I'm going to explain a little why later on and and how I unfold this podcast here, but the catastrophe is perfect. Um, why did the Taliban do what they did in the manner that they did when they did? These are great questions to ask because these are things that people aren't really considering. A lot of people are in shock. People are in horror. People are you know, scared for the future of Afghan women. Um, all these different things which are very substantial issues. But they're not asking the really broad questions. And as we do on this podcast, what we're used to doing is taking you 30,000 feet up, giving you a grand scale vision of what is really going on. Now, most Americans have no clue about the Afghanistan war. I mean, honestly, they don't. It is our longest war in America, but most Americans don't know why we're there. They don't know what we're doing there. Clearly, it has, you know, uh, leaped another generation, right? There are actually people who invaded Afghanistan uh, within the American military that now have children who are also in Afghanistan to this day, right? This is a really interesting concept that has never happened in American history, but yet this is the longest, most ongoing war uh, in America. So I have a document here, so I'm gonna lay out some key points. We're gonna go through all of this stuff. So what is in Afghanistan and why are we there? Well, uh, according to mainstream knowledge, we invaded Afghanistan immediately after the attacks on the World Trade Center of September 11th, 2001. And we did this to destroy the Taliban since they were held responsible for the terrorist attack, right? Now, 9-11 is an entire series of podcasts that we could possibly get into as to how and who, who knew and when. Um, and if it was the Taliban, then you know was this by design? And all these different people are responsible for it. But I'm just telling you, this is the mainline narrative around why we were in Afghanistan. This is the purpose. Um, you could call 9-11 a false flag. I think that um, just like the COVID hysteria, it accomplishes many goals, right? 
And from 9-11, you do have the Patriot Act, which basically stripped us of our Fourth Amendment rights, which is the right of privacy, essentially, right? Privacy of papers, privacy of, you know, our own home, things like that, because of the CIA and really the NSA uh, being able to spy on us. But that is an entire other deal. The point of that is to say this is what the American people were sort of bought into was this idea that we had to be in a war on terror, right? This is the initiation of a war on terror was to destroy the Taliban, right? Because they were held responsible. Now, when we invaded Afghanistan, uh, America quickly took control of the country and established a government. So the Taliban was pushed back to the southern region and into Pakistan for the most part. So, you know, we, we kind of like the Taliban essentially became a non-threatening entity. They just uh, continued to fight in a guerrilla warfare style where they would blow up truck bombs and they would occasionally, you know, shoot up security forces. Um, but I think the most important part here is that, you know, we, we America, okay, we go there and then we destroy the Taliban because the Taliban had taken control of the whole country at that point. Just, just like what you're watching right now, it happened in the 1990s, okay? It's truly just the same thing. So the Taliban got control and then they maintained control. They wanted to put in, you know, Sharia law and all the Islamic caliphate, this kind of thing. Well, the thing about that is once we took control of that country, there were people that obviously opposed the Taliban. They didn't necessarily want to be under Islamic Sharia law and Islamic rule. And so we worked with those citizens of that country and we established a government. Now, again, you can look at this and, and see that it is what you would call a puppet government, a proxy, right? We kind of you know, filtered through the president and, and we set up a democracy, but really it's our government, right? It's, it's an extension of the United States, right? Because we wanted to go in and we were making sure that the right people were put in place of power. So that's a problem. You know, that's a problem that a lot of Americans will not acknowledge. You know, you go into a country and you set up a government there. This is what, this is the old colonial empire look of the British Empire and the French and, and all over Africa, all over India. This is the, what the Europeans did during all of these, the, the, the spice trade uh, of the 1500s. You know, that's kind of when that really started kicking off, which colonialism, right? And so, of course, people get mixed up with colonialism. They don't understand it completely. But the point is, is that you end up in a place where you're outnumbered, obviously, and you pick native people that are trusted and you put them in power. But not only are they trusted by their own people, but, you know, they're trusted by you and the colonial power that's taking over. So this is the kind of concept here where you have this this what we call um, uh, it's, it's democracy building. It's it's nation building. Right, we're building a nation out of out of nothing. Now, uh, I will say that a lot of people argue this a lot uh, because you don't want to go in to a different place with a different culture, a different social norms, different religion, different values, different everything, and believe for some reason just because our democracy and sort of our Western way of life and and our Western values are appealing to us that it's going to be appealing to this invading country that we're going into, right? So when you try to sort of, you know, what, what, what happens is you take these people, by the way, these, these natives that are there, uh, and you take some of their smartest people 
and you set up schools there, but most importantly, you take some people and you educate them in schools, like in Britain, for example. And you educate them in schools in Europe. You come and you, edu you bring them Afghans over to America and you educate them. Uh, you teach them English. You, you know, educate them in our universities here so that we could set up these people to then become the world leaders or the political leaders there in Afghanistan. Does that make any sense? So you, it's a process, a very long process. And look, I mean, Afghanistan was invaded by Alexander the Great, okay? Um, you know, the, you have you have the Persian Empire that used to be the Persian Empire. You have, you know, um, going into uh, English rule. The Afghanistan was controlled by England. It was a part of the English Empire for a very long time. Uh, and then they got their independence around 1917, basically the end of World War One. Afghanistan became its own country. So this then then later the Soviet Union, which is their neighbor, basically, uh, at when this the, when Russia was controlled by communism, they invaded Afghanistan. They took control. And that, that was a Soviet Union province, basically. Uh, and, of course, the Taliban existed then. And that was in the, uh, the 1970s, 1980s. So Afghanistan has always been this under, you know, under attack by different world powers because of its natural resources. That is the most obvious answer to the question of why are we there, right? And so going right back into here in America, and that's a whole other idea of, of, of the history of Afghanistan and, you know, the, 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 all these different elements of, of uh, empires and nation building and all this stuff. It's very, very significant and it's, it's worthwhile. It's worth talking about. Uh, but over the past 10 years, American presence there uh, has not been more a military operation. Uh, it's been really just a police force uh, to help maintain control for the Afghan government. So we're just basically, we've established a government there and you know we're policing the area. We're really just a police force, right? Um, we do have a military base, the Bagram Air Force Base. Um, well, it's an airport, but it became an Air Force Base in the United States. And we were, you know, clearly that's where a lot of um, our troops were there and then uh, that they were deploying from that area. So there was just a lot in terms of what we were doing there for policing but we weren't necessarily going after the Taliban, if that makes any sense. You know, the Taliban wasn't, um, you know, a, a, a besieged uh, military fighting force. You know, they were kind of like, um, and I explained this to somebody, the Taliban is kind of like the mafia of Afghanistan. They have all this power, but mainly through trading heroin and growing, which comes from poppy, which is one of the main reasons why we're even there, is for opiates. Okay, I want you to really consider that pain relievers. Okay, for our pharmaceutical products. So, when you start to unpack that, you're realizing that we're there to try and take not just other some natural resources that are very valuable, but we're there for the poppy. We're there for the opiates. Okay, but ironically, of course, the Taliban makes their wealth from opiates, the poppy that is grown that they're able to ship off into India and, and all over Asia, that's the, the, the cartel that is the Taliban. So I want you to imagine the Taliban is like the mafia of the United States. The mafia doesn't really exist as much anymore here. Um, that's kind of, you know, that ended in about 1980s. But the mafia was an underground uh, network of wealth and power that even the American authorities were not acknowledging since the 1930s really was or 1920s prohibition era so 
you have a Taliban sort of mafia-style force that exists in Afghanistan and has their own way of, of culture, obviously, Islamic extremists, that kind of thing, terrorism and things like that. And so you do have this kind of like off, on and off, you know, terrorist attacks happening um, for their own purpose, right, for their own reasons, and they make their money off heroin. Again, sounds like an illegal cartel because that's what it is. And then you have America and their, the last decade or so, probably even longer than that, really has just been a police force. Okay, I want you to really think about that. So the government we propped up was giving access to uh, European and Chinese companies to extract the incredible amount of natural resources in Afghanistan. Now, I mentioned to you how we had pharmaceuticals made from the poppy that was in Afghanistan, right? It's a, it's a massive amount of it. But what many people don't understand, and a kind of a State Department analysis came out in, uh, in, in the early, two, I can't remember, it's like 2013 or 14. I think it was even earlier than that. But a State Department uh, analysis came out and basically said, well, you know, we've, we've all come out and uh, we realize that there's a lot of natural resources here in Afghanistan. Now, this came out 10 years after the war started or so, a decade after the war started, because America needed to realize in the inner circles of our government, why the fuck are we in Afghanistan, right? So they put out this memo, and I have it right here. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a picture, and uh, I'll probably put this on, on a video platform if, um, if I can do that when I upload this later. And look, this, this is the Afghan mineral resources, the estimated value. They say there's about $908 billion worth of mineral development, minerals themselves, okay? This is, not, this is not considering poppy. This is not considering the plants that they're growing there and, and the amount of you know heroin and opiates that are grown there, right? This is just the minerals. I'll give you an idea. Of iron alone, they have $400 billion, estimate $400 billion worth of iron, okay? And iron, obviously, extremely valuable resource. We use it in many different things. They have copper. They have cobalt. They even have um, a $24 billion worth of gold that's readily available. Um, graphite, which is used in many things, including um, those vaccines that everyone's taking. We'll get to that later. Um, mercury, uh, lead, and zinc. There's about another um, you know, half a billion of zinc and, and lead, right? These are all extremely uh, valuable resources. Silver is there. Uh, almost $5 billion worth of silver is there. So I'm just reading to you guys from a State Department memo that came around saying, well, there's all these mineral deposits and it'd be really great for the Afghan people and they could really become a really a great country. Here's the, here's the crazy part, okay? Um, there's stories from the American soldiers who will end up in the mountains somewhere, you know, fighting the Taliban or, or doing stuff on missions and they'll go through these villages where there is like vast amounts of mineral wealth just right in front of your face and like rubies sticking out of the mountainside you know very valuable um you know uh diamonds or or a class of 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 uh jewelry that you would make out of it i mean these are valuable rocks right but these people who live there in these tribes they don't see that as valuable they literally just overlook it you know they they don't they don't they don't realize that they could literally make money in the world market if they were to build some kind of company to extract these minerals, right? 
And so here's what's important about the minerals is America wasn't even getting any of these minerals. There are, and I correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I've done my research on, we don't even have an American company that's extracting the iron out of that or copper or gold, mining gold over there. See, it's like America's there. We're the police force. We're like holding off the Taliban from taking control of the whole country, as you know, that as you see today. But yet we don't even extract any of those resources ourselves. So it's like we're a shitty empire. Does that make any sense? That's like the British Empire, like going in and, and taking control of all these different places in India. And they don't even bother, you know, taking out natural resources or making any kind of money there. This is why we have a problem with the fiat currency system. This goes back to the bank cartels that are funding all these projects all over the world, especially here from the Federal Reserve Bank in particular, on the American side, American diplomacy, American foreign policy. It's all funded by fake fiat currency that is then put on the taxpayers to pay back later. And so this is the problem with it is that there's no there's no common sense. There is no like even a business strategy going into Afghanistan. So you can sit there and tell me that America is this awful colonial power when I'm telling you, yes, there's a part of there's a part of colonialism that, yeah, you go into a country, you establish a favorable government to your government kind of thing. And it's a proxy, you know, of, of your government. Right. I get that colonial aspect of it. But look, it's like America is like doesn't even know what the fuck they're doing there because we're not even getting any of those extremely valuable resources. Don't you think that if we're spending this money there, that, that we're protecting these, these, these people, we're propping up a government there, we have a democracy there, shouldn't America at least like negotiate some kind of exchange? Like, hey, we're gonna have American companies come in and, 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 and we're gonna extract some of your resources and that'll be a great way for you to pay us back for fighting over here where we've spent two trillion dollars and the amount of wealth that is available there is one trillion. I'm not asking for the one trillion dollars worth of wealth in Afghanistan and mineral resources. All I'm saying is how can American diplomats, this is why our State Department's just a god awful, because they don't understand how to win a war. They don't understand how to negotiate something, even with the Afghan government. Look, we gave them their power and in many cases they were educated in American universities. They know English. This is the Afghan government that was existing there. So it's like we granted them all this power. We propped them up and we were playing a police force. Why don't we at least negotiate a way to maybe get some kind of minerals? We don't because this is what's key. China is in there getting all the rare earth minerals. I mean, they're buddies. I mean, it's the board. They have a border with Afghanistan. I understand the, the alliance, if you will. And so they're out there extracting all these Chinese companies are digging up all the copper and iron and, and they're getting all the rare earth minerals, minerals that in, in many cases go in your cell phone. The very cell phone that you're holding in your hand as you're listening to this is designed from rare earth minerals out of Afghanistan that was extracted by the Chinese companies that were given over to the Apple company where they have slave factories where there's suicide nets around their their factories so people don't kill themselves working to build our iPhones and that material that's that's gotten grabbed from Afghanistan and other places around the world and it's put in our phones, right? But we in America, we don't get any of that wealth. We in America, we pay as American citizens, we pay for our iPhones $1,000 for the phone. We pay $1,000 for the phone. So when you're asking, how does this affect me? Look, these are the costs of these things. We don't manufacture goods anymore. We have plenty of rare earth minerals in America, but the environmentalists won't let us dig it up. 
There are policies in place to purposefully uh, stop American companies from extracting these very valuable mineral resources, even here in our country. Okay. So look, here's what's important. The globalists, okay, the bank cartel and the globalists, the Council on Foreign Relations, the United Nations, these kinds of people, they've designed America to be the police of the world. And in perfect fashion, that is what we are doing in Afghanistan while other countries get rich. I want you to really think about that. Other countries are getting rich while we secure that country, okay? So... Here's another real reason that a lot of people aren't willing to talk about. Why are we in Afghanistan? Why are we in Afghanistan? This, and there's a lot of mainline conservatives that still believe that we're there for the war on terror. I mean, like, obviously 75% of the American public want to be out of Afghanistan. So this is not a debate or an argument to stay in Afghanistan, right? But let me tell you why we're really there. Another real reason. That war is a racket, and it pays a lot of money. Many defense contractors like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and Raytheon are heavily invested in military involvement because that is their source of wealth. This money is, of course, paid by you, the taxpayer. Right? This is covered by us. You see, the Federal Reserve Bank prints fiat money to fund congressional acts, congressional funding for our time and our resources spent fighting the war in Afghanistan. But again, like I just said, it's not a war. The war is over. We were a police force in Afghanistan. Nothing more, nothing less. So we're blowing money there. But these defense contractors they build the, our airplanes, our jets, they build our, our weapons technology. I mean, all this stuff, Raytheon. I mean, just these companies bank off of war, okay? And that is why they prefer us to be in that war, okay? So this is the aspect of where we're at in terms of the, uh, the why we even got there and why we're there, okay? Now, let's get into the recent developments. Let's get into a timeline of events that happened, okay? During Trump's administration, he, at his directive, began actively striking, using the military to actively strike the heroin-producing facilities owned and operated by the Taliban, which cut off their access to their finances because that's how they made money. That's how they made money. They are a cartel, a drug cartel, right? Just like the United States in many ways, and so is Big Pharma. We're, we're, we exist in that world today. So Trump bombed the Taliban to the negotiating table. That, that is the simplest, the simplest way to put it. And, and again, because Trump was elected to end foreign wars. That was one of these sort of promises that he made, right? That he would get us out of Afghanistan. And to do that, he had to change the military strategy and say, let's win a war. Like, let's go to war with the Taliban. If that's really our enemy, let's destroy their finances and then let's get out of there, right? Let's destroy the Taliban, let's make a deal, and let's get out. So actually, funny enough, Trump, the guy who everybody seems to be up in arms about, 
and doesn't completely understand and thinks he's a bombastic human being, which in many ways he is. Okay, remember Rocket Man in North Korea? But look, this is the way you negotiate peace deals through strength. Okay, through strength. Because that is what only a war torn national citizenry like the Afghanis, okay, understand. They don't understand just policing them and, and, and getting them every now and then. No, we have to target who's the head of a cartel and go after that particular individual or individuals in control, okay? That's how you bring them to the negotiating table, right? Now, the Afghan government was merely a puppet government, right? We, we've talked about this, but it's, it's called regime change wars. Um, you know, the puppet government that existed in Iran, the Shah of Iran, was a British and, and, and United States-backed government in Iran. And then, of course, what happened? An Islamic caliphate, they took over Iran. That, that's a better way of putting it. I did a whole podcast on Iran and the Persian Empire and all this crazy stuff. It's just amazing history. But just like in Iran, it went from a Western democracy, like a place where I think Elvis went there, played music, it was rock and roll over there. I mean, it's, that's Iran. And that was in the 1950s you know, and 60s. It was a great place for Americans to go and, and Western cultures to, to go and clash and, and hang out. Uh, okay, so that's a whole nother thing. But I'm telling you that because we have a history of doing things like this. And same thing in Iraq, right? We put Saddam Hussein in power. He turns against us. We go to war. We overturn him. We, we end up, that guy gets killed in the streets. He's hung, blah, blah, blah. All this crazy stuff happens. And then we put in a puppet government, right? Then when we leave Iraq, that puppet government was taken over by ISIS. This is all that, this is the same thing that's happening. It happens all the time. And again, people can argue, why are we there, right? But this is the timeline of events, okay? So the peace deal that was made on the Taliban side was like, okay, the Taliban will work with the Afghan government, will share power. Because yes, the Taliban do have control of provinces in Afghanistan. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. They do control parts of Afghanistan and there's really nothing you can do about it, okay? So the Afghan government that, again, America and other Western powers put in place was working with the Taliban to negotiate their own idea of a peace deal. So we have our State Department involved, we have other Western powers involved in negotiating with the Taliban because we destroyed their financing, we destroyed their way of life in a sense. And so we're like, look, we're gonna bring you to the negotiating table. So what happened was, at May 2021 was the day that, that was agreed upon to withdraw all the troops, right? Well, this is why democracy can be a racket because the election happened, right? And Biden was put in office, right? Um, and I say that because obviously he was put in office and that the election fraud, it's a reality. That is all real. We are witnessing a total propped up government here in the United States, right? Uh, which we can get into as well another time. But look, Biden gets in and in April, in April, his administration says, well, he comes out purposely and says, I, I don't like, Biden isn't a real human in control of anything, just, just so you understand. There's the apparatus that exists that is in complete control. Our national security is run by defense contractors. That is where it's at. It's this, it's this role of, of government and you got people like from the Council on Foreign Relations and people who exist in our banking industry and just all of this control power control over the United States exists not 
with our government, the administration state, the, the Biden that is in power, right? But, but for, for sake of, of the timeline here, Biden in April announces, hey, we're not going to do May. We're not going to do May. We're going to do September 11th, 2021. That's when we're going to have all the troops withdraw. Okay, well, the Taliban, they saw that as a break in the negotiation, right? Well, America agreed to do May 2021. Now you're going back on that promise and you're saying September, right? Now, here is, is the interesting part. The Taliban decide in that moment that they're going to they're gonna have an all-out offensive, right? Here's what's most interesting. The best analysis that I can personally come to is that this was a setup the entire time. The idea that the Taliban is taking over because Biden extended the withdrawal to September is the cover story. The real story is that Biden and his administration, who is essentially, I would say, in cahoots, run by China, run with China, and doing exactly what China wants them to do, it just seems more and more that it was more of a setup. It was more designed this way, to look a certain way, okay? Now, here's why I say that. China played a support role to ensure success for the Taliban, okay? Because China was meeting with Taliban leaders in China as recently as July, okay? When you have Taliban leaders in China clearly in a position of power saying, hey, we're... You don't think that that Taliban leader did not discuss with the Chinese officials that they planned an offensive to take over the country? Absolutely not. There's a picture of this meeting that happened. And there was, you know, it was, it was an article written in the Global Times, which we're going to get to here in a bit. We're going to get to the Global Times. The Global Times is a Chinese Communist Party newspaper, and it's translated in English. So I'll read it to you. But look, the Taliban leaders met with the Chinese in July. Of course, this is a string of other things that was happening in the background. But when you see how the Taliban was meeting with the Chinese, why? The question is, nobody's, nobody's doing this analysis, by the way. This is literally me having to like research all this stuff. So what you're getting from me, I don't even, I haven't really heard connecting dots anywhere, okay? But why wouldn't China let the Afghani government, the Afghanistan government know or the United States know that the Taliban was planning this offensive? Why wouldn't the Chinese officials understand it? Why wouldn't they, or not understand it, but why wouldn't they tell the world, hey, we met with the Taliban, looks like they're going to be you know, launching some kind of offensive and we're warning the world to to you know look out for that and and you know blah 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 right so even china knew that this was going to happen it's not about that china knew let me tell you let me give you a hint okay china is working with the taliban okay china and the taliban are buddying up because they have similar interests 
okay? When it comes to the Taliban side, the Taliban, they need the backing and the support of a world power, okay? And with the way things are going today in the globe, the Taliban chose China as that world power, okay? Because when you have China backing your would-be offensive, you, can, you, you already know that it's a proxy war because China wants to continue doing their operations. They want to continue to get those rare earth minerals out of Afghanistan. So China's just doing what they do best, which is to initiate economic development and to negotiate their way to peace. And so to be fair, that's exactly what America could have done, but they didn't do that. The Chinese are just being smart. They have all these companies there. They're taking out all these resources there. And the Taliban comes up to China and is like, look, we're going we're gonna to bomb and destroy your companies here. And we're going to kick you out of Afghanistan unless you negotiate with us that you will support us in our role of taking over. Now, this is before the Taliban had control of the country. But China knew. And this is where I'm really honestly, I really am coming to this analysis at this point. Even people in our government knew that the Taliban was going to take over. I say that because there were State Department announcements, there were intelligence reports in June and in July of the people, as I said, decompartmentalized, who are literally in the system, who are literally reading these intelligence reports, and they're doing it through the military and through the State Department, and they're basically telling the American government, and they're trying to get in contact with Biden, they're trying to get in contact with the military, they're trying to get, they're trying to connect, and they're like, hey, the Taliban are planning something big and we're getting, we're getting word from this and this and this that something's going down. Guess what? Everyone knew. This is, this is the analysis I'm coming to. Everyone knew that the Taliban was going to take over. This was designed to have an American stand down just the way you're watching now. And what happened was the other part of this timeline is that Biden, I don't say Biden because I, I want to just say like another word for Biden because it's not him, right? It's just, it's, it's globalist, but it's this, his controllers. Our military is pulled out of Afghanistan completely. About 95% are taken out, including the Bagram Airport, which is the central U.S. control airport. The, the, we had complete military dominance and control of this airport the military is told to completely leave that airport they don't even give the keys to the afghan government they literally just leave there was no there was a communication breakup from what i'm understanding there was a communication breakup between the united states military and the afghan government and the military decides to just leave. This is upon their orders. They left the airport. And with the airport, very strategic advantage, they left all this equipment and they left all of these weapons and, and artillery and all this stuff there. Okay? Again, again, as if this was by design, the Taliban walked right into that airport, took complete control of it, 
And mind you, this is you're taking out military and you're not taking out the civilians that you're going to leave behind. The only military presence of the United States in Afghanistan is 650 American soldiers who are defending the embassy in Kabul, which is the capital. No other American military was anywhere else. Here's the problem. There's over, there, there's estimates between 10 and 40, but I'm just going to say 10. There's 10,000 American, not Afghan, you know, friendlies and all that. No, American citizens who are in Afghanistan and nothing was done to take these people out of the country. This is why I'm telling you, this is all by design. You take the military out, you leave other Americans there, you do not tell them anything about the withdrawal, and then you don't do anything about it when the Taliban comes and attacks. You pretend, as our government, that you never knew it was going to happen. This is what I'm telling you right now. This is such an uh, interesting way of looking at it because nobody is talking about this. But it is so obvious that our government, the Chinese government, probably other world powers like Russia, knew the Taliban planned this offensive. This is what, this is what gets crazy. At the beginning of August, the Taliban launched the offensive. And what they did was they contacted tribal leaders in each region. And they just basically said, look, if we're going to come to your tribe, we're going to come to your village. And if you don't you know, surrender, then we're going to end up having to think that you're, you're with the Afghan government. And if that's the case, we're going to have to kill you, you know. And so they used force, right? And so a lot of these tribal leaders in rural areas all over Afghanistan, they basically just, you know, acquiesced. You know, they said, okay, fine, just, you know, if that's the case and, and we don't have American police force, we don't have any other, you know, uh, we have the Afghan military, but then that's, where are they at? I don't even know. So the tribal leaders just made the decision, okay, cool. So they gave up without a fight. That's why the Taliban was able to just go and do that offensive so quickly. Here's the key, and this is why I'm telling you that everyone knew what was going to happen. Why? Here's another element to it. Not saying it's the thing, but it is very important. The Taliban communicate with each other using WhatsApp. They're literally using an American company, American technology company, to communicate with each other. You're telling me you don't think that our government doesn't know about what the Taliban is saying on these apps and what the Taliban is, is doing. Look, I, I get that they can monitor us and it's a violation of our Fourth Amendment and, the, and blah, 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 blah. But really, when, when this is how intelligence agencies work. They spy on other countries. Th this is what happened with even Trump, by the way. He was spied on by a, a, a British intelligence, right? And that's how they got all this, this information. They knew all this stuff. But they legally can do that because there are certain things that you cannot do with your own citizens, right? Because it's a violation of their rights. But what you can do kind of off limits, kind of kind of hands off, you know, with other nations, citizens. So you can spy. So these intelligence, that's why they, that's, it's called the five eyes. So all these intelligence, they, they spy on each other's citizens. That's, that way it's like spying on your own neighbors to make sure nobody does anything. And that's what they do. And so what I'm telling you, is 
You don't think the CIA wasn't getting intelligence reports, wasn't knowing exactly what these Taliban were planning and what they were doing? Of course they were, especially because they're using an American app. Now, who owns WhatsApp? Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook. Facebook acquired WhatsApp. I can't even remember how long ago. Maybe it was like 2017 or earlier than that. But Mark Zuckerberg owns WhatsApp. The, this means this if, if we had a real government and this actually happened and oh it was totally a surprise right if, if that's true mark zuckerberg would be considered a war criminal by providing communications to an international terrorist group this is treasonous right but actually what's more important is our own government is committing treason on our country, right? Because they knew this would happen. They knew this would happen and they let it happen. And I would even say by design, they made it happen because of the way we left Bagram airport, because of the way we left. It's so obvious that it's perfectly obvious guys who are listening now. This is not incompetence. This is not incompetence. That's, that's, that's so basic. How could you believe that this is incompetence? This is purely on purpose. This is by design. There's a lot of even conservatives out there making fun of Biden and, oh, he's so terrible. Look how awful he is. Look how stupid he is. He's so dumb, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, dude, this was exactly what our administration that's in power right now. This is exactly what our government wanted. But but because of the decompartment, because everyone's compartmentalized, they're all in their own little squares of control. Some parts of our government are like freaking out. They're like, why is this happening? What is happening, right? Because they're like, their job is to like, make sure this doesn't happen. You know what I mean? They don't know that the higher ups in our government, to say it plainly, made a decision already. that They weren't going to give a fuck about the American citizens left behind. That they weren't going to give a shit about the image that this presents to the world on a world stage. This was planned. This was all designed. Okay. Now look, what we should have done, as I've kind of already explained, we should have held Bagram airport and through that airport, which had complete military control with the U S for years and years and years, since we've pretty much been there. Okay. We could have easily gotten U.S. citizens to travel there and to fly them out in a peaceful, beautiful, symphony-like manner where we could have easily extracted everybody out and done it correctly, done it under security provisions, all these amazing things. That's what should have happened. And that the last to leave, just like leaders do, there's so many stories of leaders leaving last, leaders eating last. There's a whole book called Leaders Eat Last. So it's all about the leaders leave last well in that case the the final military apparatus that is that was left there would have been okay we're gonna now leave together we've got all the civilians now of course if you imagined that there was gonna be some kind of afghan government like you didn't expect a taliban takeover right okay let's just assume there was no taliban takeover and you know there were some real like real negotiations like real peace and i'm really telling you that if we had another president like trump we would have, this is what, have, this is exactly what would have happened. Okay. But you leave an embassy. Okay. And you leave other state department officials there in the capital, right. To assist the Afghan government, to work with the Afghan government, 
just like we have an embassy in countries all over the world, right? That's what you would have done. Yes, there would have been American civilians working there, but they would have been working for our State Department. We would have otherwise gotten everybody out of harm's way, knowing that Afghanistan is still kind of an un it's, un it's uncertain. We don't know. We don't know what the Taliban's going to do, blah, blah, blah. That's reasonable. We take everybody out. That's what would have happened, right? And then we extending that, okay, you show military dominance in the region by providing air support and intelligence to the Afghan military if the Taliban were to attack. Here's another key element as to why I believe this was by design. We have military bases in Qatar and in other places right there in that region. If the Taliban were on this offensive, just so you know, they were taking convoys of military equipment and trucks to these different cities, taking over, fighting the Afghan forces that were in control, what they would call the Afghan security forces, right? So you're telling me that convoys, military convoys traveling on highways that in many cases you and I as American citizens, we paid for, by the way, we paid to build these highways. So you're telling me that military convoys where we know the Taliban is literally driving in, that that, that wasn't a possibility to literally just airstrike these convoys and completely obliterate the Taliban? Of course, that's what military would have done if we would have had somebody else in power. Literally, this is how, this is why presidents and stuff matter. Commander in chiefs matter in this country. Because if we were to have experienced, if the Taliban were to go back on their word, right? And they were to start an offensive, right? Trump, with the military commanders, would have easily destroyed, destroyed forever the Taliban. Because just a couple airstrikes and you blow up military convoys, they're done. Why wasn't that done? Why wasn't this happening? Why is it that there are videos coming out of the Bagram airport and the military base there of Afghan or uh, uh, Taliban soldiers working out with the military equipment in there and, 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 and stockpiles of, of munitions and, and weapons? How are we not blowing up that place? That's what you would have done if the Taliban genuinely did take over that military base after we had left. We would have bombed it. We would have destroyed it because that's what you do in a, in a war. You destroy provisions. You destroy equipment that your enemy could use against you. It's common sense. Again, if you think it's incompetence, then you're way behind the ball. Okay, if you think it's incompetence, you're way behind. It is totally by design, all right? Now, how does this impact the world and America as a whole? Let's take a look. The American empire is designed to come to an end. That's what's really happening right now. Based off of decisions made by the globalist multinational bank cartels. That's what's really happening. You see... America had some kind of hegemony in Afghanistan. We had some kind of control in Afghanistan. I get that. I understand that. But that's not allowed under globalist rule. The globalists have decided that, you know, Americans are they're getting too uppity. They, they elected the Trump guy. And uh, that's not good. You know, we can't be having any kind of disturbance to the global world order. And so 
really, America, you are going to be finished. And your government that you spent all this money and time building up after 20 years is going to be demolished. And the Taliban is going to take full control of that country. And guess who's going to get all the rare earth minerals and all the control over all the other natural resources? China. And China is going to be the new regional world power. Now, again, I personally think that's kind of fair. Look, I mean, China is neighbors with Afghanistan. They don't need some kind of proxy war with America happening in Afghanistan. That's the last thing that China wants. So, to their credit, China's just doing what's right for them. They're doing what's right for their country. And they're easily initiating their Belt and Road Initiative, which I'll get to. But that is what's happening now. America is, is we're going to pull out those troops, but we're going to do it in a manner that we're going to let the Taliban take complete control. And we already know that the Taliban is not going to favor American uh, diplomacy. They're not going to favor American intervention or American uh, economic development. None of it. None of it. None of it. It's all done, right? So our companies, our NGOs, our, all of our stuff is not going to be allowed in Afghanistan with the Taliban taking control. Which, again, leaves a vacuum, we would call a vacuum, for Eastern powers like Russia and China and Pakistan. Which, by the way, are at odds with India. And India is having enough troubles of their own. So, look, this is another part of America losing its power. Is that the U.S. dollar is under immense pressure to end its dominance as the world reserve currency. You see, they needed to destroy Afghanistan and to have it be in China Chinese control, no resemblance whatsoever of American control, right? Because again, the Chinese and Islamic Caliphate, they have authoritarianism in common. And so they cannot have or afford to have an American style propped up government there, right? I'm not really fans of either. I'm not saying that we should have our government propped up there like puppets. That's not fair to the Afghan people. I would rather them decide, right? And yes, while there's a lot of people who hate the Taliban in Afghanistan, believe it or not, guys, there's a lot of people in Afghanistan that love the Taliban. Not necessarily love, but they favor the Taliban. They like the Taliban, right? Um, this is very true. We can't necessarily control that. But the U.S. dollar is under its own attack. And this is a part of making sure that American diplomacy is, is not a powerful force in the world. So as you lower the amount of American diplomacy and American military strength in the world with its allies, then what happens is you can also lower the strength of our financial power. That is what's happening now. Afghanistan is just one of the pieces being removed off the chessboard from American control. So this is the reason why it impacts us. This is how it impacts us in that sense. That America is now being uh, deindustrialized ourselves we're under complete assault and medical tyranny and all this other bullshit that the rest of the world is, and the Western world, by the way, is dealing with. Only the Western world. Do you see? Because China doesn't have Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccines. China has their own vaccine. China isn't locked down anymore. China is completely open. China is dominating. China is incredible. They are literally just outpacing and, and destroying all of the American gains around the world. Russia isn't taking American vaccines. Russia has their own vaccine. They're not mandating anything over there. They're not locking down in Russia. There's no masking in Russia right now. They're over the pandemic. But it's the Western nations that are under the pandemic 
as another form of, of economic control. It has nothing to do with a virus. It has everything to do with biochemical warfare. And that is what American products, being Pfizer and Moderna and uh, Johnson and Johnson, but mainly the, the two Pfizer Modernas and AstraZeneca, American products made by American pharmaceutical companies are being exported to other countries around the world, and I would consider them bioweapons, personally. And that's how they're going to be viewed by other nations. And you watch. In America, we just think, oh, whatever, whatever. A lot of people, obviously, there's people who hate the vaccine. I get it. But imagine when you're in another country and you're importing a foreign biological product that is to be injected directly into the bloodstream of your citizens, whether you're in Ecuador, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, India, okay, Vietnam, the Philippines, wherever you're at all over the world, why the fuck would you inject a biological agent into your citizens? Don't you want to research that a little bit before you do that? Yeah, that's coming next. And that will be another podcast. So look, here is the Global Times. This is a very significant thing to read and to study because the Global Times is essentially the Communist Party propaganda, okay? Look, Afghanistan Today, this is the title of, this, of, the, uh, of the article. Afghanistan Today, Taiwan Tomorrow. U.S. treachery scares DPP, which essentially is the Taiwanese, um, what they would, they call the secessionists, okay? Let me read from this article. This is literally the mouthpiece of the Chinese Communist Party, okay? With chaotic scenes at Kabul airport of hundreds and thousands of people fleeing after the Taliban took full control of Afghanistan, grabbing global attention, and many calling the evacuation of U.S. diplomats another Saigon moment, whole another conversation, more discussions emerged online over who's next amid the U.S. failed commitment. For years, Washington has been turning its foreign policy into ideology-driven geopolitical games. And now, the rapidly changing situation in Afghanistan has even worried some in the island of Taiwan in sounding a warning bell to secessionists there. I like how they call them secessionists. That's hilarious, even though Taiwan is its own country. As it's not the first time the U.S. has abandoned its allies and the so-called alliances, which are made use of only as chess pieces in Washington's global strategy. Okay, let's continue. The Taliban took control or took over Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, on Sunday as the country's president fled the country. Many were shocked at the speed with which the Taliban took control as the U.S.-backed government collapsed. U.S.-backed government. You see how they view this? Do you see how the Chinese communists view this? The U.S.-backed government collapsed. And they compared the scenes in Kabul of U.S. diplomats being taken to safety by helicopters to the U.S. withdrawal from Vietnam in 1975. Now... Taiwan is nervous. This is more of the article. Yesterday's Saigon, today's Afghanistan, and tomorrow's Taiwan. Read some online posts by internet users in the island of Taiwan, implying that the so-called alliance that Taiwan has forged with the U.S. is nothing but an empty promise that will eventually leave the Taiwan people hurting alone. 
So they're shocked, he says here in this article, that U.S. allies and partners who have become weary of putting the safety of Taiwan in the hands of the U.S. as the latter may pull the same tricks played in Kabul. So what am I reading this article for? I'm reading this article for you to understand that the Chinese Communist Party views this instance in America as a collapse of confidence for the Taiwanese government and the Taiwanese people. Now, Taiwan, unlike what Chinese communists would tell you, is its own country. But the Chinese Communist Party doesn't see it that way. And they know that Taiwan is a threat to their hegemony, their power over the South China Sea. Under China and the Chinese Communist Party, they believe that Taiwan is merely an island of China, right? A Chinese, I was going to say, a Chinese island. So with a lot of Taiwanese, of course, the reason why they do not like China and, and do not see themselves as Chinese anymore is because the Taiwanese, they were the ones, they were the capitalists and the refugees who fled China during the Mao takeover of 1949. So Taiwan is literally a safe haven for capitalism, a safe haven for U.S.-backed and Western-powered-backed government, right? But it's not a U.S. government like, like what you would see in Afghanistan. It's not a puppet government of the U.S., but it is a government that is supported and traded with the U.S. Now, here's the key element of Taiwan. Taiwan also has rare earth minerals that are very important to China and are very important to the United States. These, these rare earth minerals are what go into your cars, your trucks, your refrigerators, your appliances, your phones, your other forms of technology. This is a massive part of the global market, okay? This is why it's important to understand why this is happening. Now, if you wanna look more into something, it's called the Belt and Road Initiative, okay? The Belt and Road Initiative is, it's, it's, it's perfectly stated in this article on the Global Times, and this was a op-ed, meaning it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's just an opinion, okay? But I want you to understand this article. This is the title of the article. For Afghanistan, the Silk Road is better than the Tank Road. So, here's what this guy says. I'm going to read from this. In a few hours, the West has not only lost Afghanistan, which it had never owned, but has thrown away years, decades, centuries of moral standing, defender of the rights of the weak, of human rights, of women's rights, of a democracy promoter. However, the betrayal that the West perpetrated against Afghan citizens, who are the ones who will pay the price for the West's political choices, cracks, in fact, destroys even the last ethical bulwark that the West boasted about, being the champions of international justice and protector of the oppressed of the world. Now, um, this is what I'm going to say here. The real winner of this disaster is China. This is an incredible analysis of this entire thing happening 
in Afghanistan. Uh, the real winner of this, of this disaster is China. A wise strategy based on two pillars. Number one, no military intervention abroad. Think about that for a second. Like I just told you, America was playing the role of police. We were having our blood, sweat, and treasure spent in Afghanistan. While China just sat there, dug all these rare earth minerals, extracted what they wanted to, and are looking to control even more parts of Afghanistan now that America's gone. The second thing, economic cooperation for development. In other words, China prefers the Silk Road approach to the road of tanks. Of course, comparatively, that's military. An approach that favors the development of infrastructure, transport, and investments to that of war. Now, let me tell you what this person is referring to. Something called the Belt and Road Initiative. And the Silk Road is, well, if you don't know that, it's the, it's the highway, the ancient highway that was developed from China into Europe that brought silk to Europe. Okay? This was, and that was a trading route that was used for generations, right? Well, what this article, what this guy is saying in the, in the Chinese Communist paper here is that China is outsmarting everybody by doing economic development and trade as a form of political control because that's exactly what they're doing, right? China is smart. This is what the article is saying. China is smart and will not fall into the trap of military intervention. The pious hope of the West. Again, he's just kind of laughing in our face. Like he's like, he's like, oh, y'all, y'all think China's gonna come in and try to try to you know spend our blood, sweat, and tears over here. But we'll enter into trade agreements with the new Afghan government. What does the new Afghan government mean? That's the Taliban, okay? Thus adding another transit point towards the Indian Ocean and the ports of Pakistan. Also using the Pushtun presence uh, on both sides of the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, right? Pushtun is probably like a, it's a, it's a uh, city there and it's a culture there. Pakistan has already been economically firmly integrated with China. This is something that you all need to know, okay? He goes on, talks about India, talks about, you know, um, man, this is incredible, guys. It is clear, I'm reading, it is clear that the old doubt always present in Asia for 60 years of being mere pawns that can be spent for Western interests has since become more of a real risk, if not certainty. The concept of leveraging their fears to carry out China's containment strategy is much weakened and soon will vanish. Perhaps good news for Taiwan that it will be careful not to fall into the trap of being used as a pawn and continue, as it has done for decades, to manage a balanced relationship with the Chinese mainland. So, I'm not going to even, you know, again, the Taiwanese and this conflict in Taiwan is the next shoe to fall. The reason I read the Chinese Communist newspaper is because that's who's really in control of this entire operation. Look, the Taliban has its ways. They're doing their thing. But this is run by China, okay? That's why it's important. So here's the problem. The China Uyghur population, the Muslim population, and I, I'm Uyghur or uh, 
Uyghur or how you want to say it, however you want to say it, however it's pronounced. But there's a population of Muslims that lived in northern China for quite some time, obviously, you know, bordering with Afghanistan and, and, and Pakistan. So you do have a lot of Muslim presence in northern China. Well, the Chinese obviously don't do any religion. They don't do any spiritual being. You are to worship the government there and only those in government, and that's it. You're not allowed to have any spiritual faith whatsoever. No Christian, no Christianity, no Buddhism, uh, no Hinduism, and definitely no Islam. Okay? So that's weird, right? Chinese Communist Party doesn't value religion and has Muslims in slave working camps in concentration camps modern day happening right now that's where nike's got their factories over there slaves make it not just slaves but muslim slaves they are literally slaves because of their religion well how does that work how does that work with um the taliban right there is a real process to discuss there because the taliban obviously don't like to see their brethren, you know, under assault from Chinese, you know, influence and, and ch Chinese dominance and uh, and takeover, right? So there is that odd, the, the, it's at odds, but they agree on the authoritarianism of it all. They agree on many things that can prop up the Taliban in their new sort of power, their new control over the Afghan government. So it's a big kind of, you know, uh, contrary thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's going to be the problem that China is going to deal with. That they're not, they're not invincible by any means. And what I'm trying to tell you guys is that this is going to be a very significant thing in the future because there's going to be Islamic attacks, not just on, in the, on the Western world carried out by the Taliban, but there's going to be on China as well. So we're going to see how that un, uh, develops in the future. So how does this impact your life? You know, I talked a lot about all this stuff going on, but how does this really impact you? You know, American confidence on the world stage is a very important value to all Americans. You know, when, especially when you travel around the world and, and you deal with other worldly things, American power is a very significant thing. An American citizen, an American passport is one of the most powerful documents all around the world because Americans are essentially allowed everywhere and anywhere. Granted, some places in Iran and some places in China, you're not allowed, but it's a very powerful thing. And so it's important to have confidence on the world stage and have a, an America that is relied upon, right? The Western powers have been relied upon to promote the democracies of the world and be available to help in any diplomatic way we can. But by this foreign policy disaster occurring, allies of the U.S. are not confident in our abilities and diplomacy as a nation. The reason why that matters is that if our allies do not trust our ability to contain militarily situations that do tend to happen, uh, if they cannot trust our word, our word when we make agreements, even if it's with the Taliban, we made an agreement under one administration and then we get a new administration and then the president and all of a sudden we change our word, our word. We change our agreements. That is not a healthy thing. 
I mean, if you know anybody personally who goes back on their word, hey, I'll be there, or you know, if they're not and they don't show up, right? Little things. That's called losing your credibility. So this matters because if other countries start to see America this way, they're going to end up allying with adversaries like Russia, like China. There's going to be this collapse of confidence in the Western world, not just America, but all these other Western countries. That is not good and that affects us in a way because if we have new countries combining and alliances, um, it can really put America at odds and at risk and that threatens our everyday way of life because if that tends to happen, you can get different trade deals, economic things that can happen. Um, I mean, just so many different things. I mean, look at the entire Middle Eastern world where we get all our oil, sadly, when we don't have to. There's just a lot that we can deal with there. So as this unfolds to cripple American power in different parts of the world, not just militarily, but diplomatically and economically, this affects the average citizen because it's the sons and daughters of this country that are shipped off into harm's way. When, when things go bad, we're taking our people and we're sending them in harm's way. And right now, that is what's happening in Afghanistan. And let me tell you something right now. This is a prediction that, is, that I'm willing to make. September 11th is when the Taliban said that you better, all Americans need to be out of Afghanistan by September 11th. I don't even know if we're going to have an embassy there under Taliban rule. I really don't think we're going to even have an embassy there. So I want you to think about that. We are now having all these Americans out, right? But we're sending 6,000 troops into Afghanistan as I speak to you right now. How the hell are we supposed to get everybody out by the 11th? Here's what I'm telling you. By September 11th, we will not be out of Afghanistan. There will be people still there. There will be Americans stranded there, but there will also be an, Ameri an American military presence there. When this occurs, I believe the Taliban will begin an assault on the airport and it will be carnage. I believe that the Taliban will use our weapons, our rockets, our missiles, our artillery to try and kill and destroy any American soldier that is left there. If you think it is a catastrophe happening right now in Afghanistan, just wait until the end or the, the middle of September. I believe that there's going to be a whole new war that breaks out in that region. And the Taliban is not going to tolerate any American presence. And they're going to attack. And there will be bloodshed. And right now, we're blessed. We're getting news every second. But right now, American bloodshed has not yet happened from what we understand. But we are getting to that point. It's getting very dangerous, okay? That affects our lives because I have a cousin that's there right now, you know? Um, other people have family there right now. Other people have friends there right now. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't even know it. But our military is being sent in there and that is how it impacts us, okay? That's one way. It is the American taxpayer that ends up paying for the burden of terrible foreign policy. $2 trillion 
out of our 28 trillion dollar debt right now 2 trillion of that was spent in Afghanistan inflation will continue to increase even more drastically when you have collapses like this and you have um, spending like this you're going to see the goods the price of goods go up you're going to see the price of, of drugs go up the price of pharmaceutical drugs are going to get even higher Things like this are going to occur and it's going to be, this is going to hit our pocketbook and it's going to hit our tax dollars, right? And now that America has played a role in destabilizing this part of the world, there will be even more refugees coming here as a result. Importing people from other parts of the world can cause extreme cultural clashes and often ends in violence. Look, this isn't because this country is a racist country. It's literally because these people coming from different parts of the world do not line up with our values and have very violent tendencies because they come from a violent country. They come from a violent, a violent world, you know? And our people aren't used to that. And so this can impact us because if we end up living near somebody that was a refugee, and they end up turning violent or they end up, you know, wanting to be a part of the Taliban and wanting to carry out terrorist attacks on American soil, this can affect our lives and this can affect the people around us, right? Let me give you a massive example that not many people know. There was a shooting that happened in Boulder. Um, man, I don't even know. I don't even remember when that happened at this point, but it happened not too long ago. And when it occurred here, that shooting it was big news. I believe uh, 10 people were killed, including a police officer. And uh, it was just a random act of violence. It was a random act of violence. And that news story was covered up pretty heavily after it happened. Uh, because who it was, it was a Syrian refugee. So it was a refugee who came here to the United States. They put him in Denver. They stuck him in Denver. And they say, hey, here you go. Live your life. You know, good luck. And, and that's what I'm saying. These people, they, they, they line up with, 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 with their own country. They line up with their own culture. They'll line up with their own religion. And in many cases, they will carry acts of violence against this country because they don't belong here. Does that make any sense? They don't belong here. And that's, what, that's exactly what happened. That was his reasoning for doing what he did. He clearly had this coming. There was his, his social media was full of anti-American rhetoric. And, and, and it's just clear that that's what he wanted to do, you know? So look, I mean, it's very, very important. This is all going to affect us in one way or another. And I can tell you that, you know, there's an infrastructure bill that's trying to be shoved through Congress right now. They want to make every car electric by 2030. Here's the problem with that. Number one is you don't need to do that. There is no issue with oil in this country. We have plenty of it. We can't get to it unless you have the right president, it seems like. Um, but there's no real data that shows that carbon dioxide is global warming, right? We kind of moved past that, that concept. And so, uh, well, I mean, not most people, most people believe that. This is an assault 
on the economic development of the United States. When you're trying to put all cars being electric by 2030 in the country, guess how stupid that is? It's so stupid because we don't even have lithium mines in this country anymore. We basically don't. There are, there are studies that show that China owns and runs 80% of the rare earth minerals that go into your Tesla. So if you're thinking you're so woke when you have a Tesla or you have an electric car and then you're going to force all of American cars to be electric by 2030 and you're putting America in a position where it has no way of getting a valuable resource to be put in cars. Here's the secret. They don't want you in cars. They don't want the average US citizen in cars. Cars, when they make it all battery powered, by the way, are gonna be for the elites. It's gonna be so pricey because of what just happened in Afghanistan, because we have no control over the battery power market. We have no control. Why? Why would you make something so stupid? Make a, a decision, some kind of policy that is so stupid. You have to outsource the resources to even build those cars. You don't even have the resources. Don't you understand that if America is actually stuck doing something stupid like that, that the Chinese can just fucking price control all the lithium mines and all the lithium, uh, the, the batteries that they control, all the things that are going to stick into our batteries in the, in the cars in America, they're going, to, they're going to make cars so expensive. And guess what? It's class warfare, ladies and gentlemen. Only the rich are going to be able to drive cars because the poor can't, they, they can't drive that oil car because they're going to start they're going to start increasing gas prices this is all artificially by the way there's plenty of oil there's tens of thousands of years of oil left and I'm not even saying that oil is the most efficient best energy source I'm just saying there's plenty of it and it's not doing nearly the damage that they say it's doing to the the atmosphere it's not doing anything to it there's all these studies that show that it's not doing anything to it but what I'm telling you is it's a class warfare so what's happening in Afghanistan the control of the rare earth minerals there, the real control, is going to lead us to a place in the world where America is going to have cars powered by batteries made in Afghanistan that the Taliban and the Chinese communists control. And the Chinese communists control even other parts of the market, larger, the largest part of the market of rare earth minerals. We're not even going to be able to get the fucking batteries for our cars. So the price of cars is going to go so high that the average middle class, lower class people are never going to be able to buy them. And then oil cars will be so expensive because gas prices will be so high. But if you're rich enough, then you can buy your little Tesla or whatever fucking car is going to come out for that. And then you'll be able to maybe drive that car. So I want you to think about that. I really want you to consider that going forward. So this is why and how this kind of information impacts our everyday lives. Now, for the most part, I've concluded some of this information on Afghanistan. Honestly, there's, there's more to it. There's so much more to it, okay? And I can spend hours and hours and hours getting into it. And there's a rich history here, obviously. There's a lot of predictions. How is the future going to look? Well, I just told you a bit of the future, but how is it all going to come together? What is the Taliban going to do? 
What is what are other countries going to do? What's China going to do? I mean, there's so much at stake. And so I appreciate you guys tuning in, obviously. Going to be continuing to do these kinds of analysis. We got I got other podcasts down the road right now developing and uh, we're going to get through a lot of information. But if you've actually listened this far, I can tell you that you probably know more about the Afghanistan conflict than some of these media pundits on the internet or on, you know, the on the mainstream media. I mean, even conservative talk shows are they don't even know what I just told you. They don't put those things together. Okay, I know a lot of people here they they lean conservative, but I'm just saying that even then they don't even tell you the full story. So, if you finish this podcast, you know an analysis more than anyone else. You're probably the most knowledgeable at this point. So, I really appreciate you tuning in. It was a bit of a longer one, but it was well worth it and it's well documented and if you have more questions, please feel free to reach out to me on my Facebook or Instagram. And then if you love this podcast, leave a five-star review. Five-star reviews are always super helpful and um, definitely great to be able to have an impact on you and your friends and your family. So I appreciate the time and effort and you guys have a great rest of your day. Peace.